Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Yawa. We have a lot of great things to cover, some really exciting stories to tell you, and as always, answer a few of your questions. So, if you haven't already seen the video that just came out about our trip to Alaska, definitely check it out. As well as, if you don't subscribe to our channel, please hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, it really helps us out. Absolutely. So, speaking of Alaska, uh, again, go watch the video and show some really cool stuff that happened, but we want to talk about it. We've been talking about it for a while, so we're going to want to go over the trip a little bit, explain some of the things that we did, some of the things that we'd like to do again, and then maybe a few things that we would want to do differently next time. Yeah. So, definitely had an amazing time catching fish. We caught a ton of fish. We caught a ton of fish. I mean, it was ridiculous. We probably could have caught a little bit more fish if we'd caught a few bigger fish, but ultimately we have a lot of fish and it's going to take us a long time to eat it all. Kat and I brought home over a hundred. There were seven people on the boat. So we yep. got, we got one seventh each. That's how we divided all of the, the meat out, whatever. So we, he got a seventh. I got a seventh. Yep. And we brought home over a hundred pounds of fish. That's a lot of fish, especially because fun fact, did you know one of the fish that we were fishing for was halibut, but Ethan looked up a serving size of halibut is only four ounces, which is, oh, excuse me, only three three ounces, ounces. which is not very much, but three ounces has 22 grams of protein. 22 grams of protein. That's a lot. Only two and a half grams of fat. And a total of 115 calories. So, so super duper healthy. Super healthy. You know, granted, definitely I'm going to be eating closer to like 10 to 16 ounces at a time because I'm. That's still like not even that many calories. I'm that kind of guy, you know. But we probably will fry some of it a little bit. So that won't make it as healthy. No, oh. we got we got the opportunity to eat it. Uh, Dr. Peter, some of you have met him, Doc, Dr. Peter Armstrong DVM. I refer to him that as all the time. It's a, it's kind of an inside joke. But uh, if you listen to what I said, you might chuckle a little bit at the stupidity of what I just said. So um, what we did, though, on the boat was we were able to blacken. We cooked it that way. It was some pasta. It was absolutely fantastic. I mean, just fresh, just caught a few hours before at the most. Yeah, probably just a few hours ago and then was cleaned on the boat and cooked on the boat while we stayed on the boat overnight in this little uh, bay area out in the ocean, tucked up in um, this little bay area. And it was just, it was gorgeous. Cove, I guess. Cove. There was this waterfall into it. There was super still water. It was just gorgeous. We parked there in the middle of the cove and a bald eagle flies over the ship. It doesn't get any more American than that. I'm saying right now. It was it was pretty awesome. And every time you looked around, you were seeing something just amazing that I burnt the battery out of my phone over and over and over. And Ethan was taking pictures and videos on the good camera. We couldn't get enough of the wildlife and the scenery. I mean, the vistas were amazing. These giant mountains um, with waterfalls and glaciers. And then the wildlife was awesome. There were the cutest otters I've ever seen in my life. They were so cute. I got some videos of that. Have you ever seen an otter in your life? Uh, Maybe in the zoo, but not in wild, not in the wild. Sea otters. Yeah, it was really cool. And then there were these little puffin that were so cute. There were two of them that would hang out around the boat while we were fishing. And I didn't know that puffin would like dive and they can dive really, really deep and hold their breath for a very long time. And then they boop, pop right up to the surface and you know we're out there fishing and we've got bait on our lines and they're trying to steal the bait off our hooks it was uh kind of cute and comical at the same time and we were catching plenty enough fish so it wasn't a hindrance but it was really cute to watch them dive down come back up hang out for a little bit and dive back down again yes it was uh it was really awesome one of the things that i say that i probably wish that we could have done is uh peter and his cousin who came with nathan uh, got the opportunity to go up to I think it's Denali National Park. Is that Denali is how it was referred to. And I need more information on it. But some of the pictures that Nathan got from that were just insane. They saw a ton of wildlife, caribou and brown bear and birds and all all kinds of things that look like that would be a cool, you know, sightseeing tour to take if and when we get the opportunity to go back. Because we didn't get to spend as much time away as 
we would have potentially liked, as well as to be able to do all this. Alaska is a pretty big state. And so to be to be able to get all over the place to see all of the things, I mean, you need more than a few days. Some of the Alaska people, and uh, you you may know Alaska is pretty big or you may not, but uh, they jokingly referred to because Peter's from Texas is Texas as Alaska's little sister. And um, when you look at it, I believe and don't quote me on this, but I believe Texas fits in Alaska like four times and, and Texas is giant, maybe more than that. Even. I mean, we covered a very, very, very small portion of it and it was very cool. It was yeah. very, very cool. We saw the, bald eagles too, which yep. we've seen bald eagles where we're at here in Kansas, but down there it was really we awesome. We saw quite a few of them and, and there was a lot of them around. Yeah. And then sea lions. Oh my gosh. They were so cool. They were. It was like sea lion rock. There was an yeah. entire rock covered with these big fat lazy what? sea lions they that were did called nothing. um um ah, it'll come to me it was like a synonym for awesome sea lions or something they were there was a name for them that they were called something i'll think of it shoot but they were just hanging out sunning themselves on this rock hanging out not doing anything other than looking cute uh, we got to see a beluga whale, humpback whale, a doll porpoise. We did see a doll porpoise. And um, Ethan, the producer here, is one of the producers, I'm is looking, looking up the on. sea lions. But it was really cool. Plus, we caught a ton of fish. Um, we went, we were out there to halibut fish, but we not only caught halibut, but we also caught some silver salmon, a bunch of rockfish, a yellow eye, a couple yellow eyes. Uh, we caught stellar. Stellar sea lions. There you go. Stellar That's, sea lions. So, uh, synonym to awesome, right? Stellar. I mean, stellar sea lions. That's yeah. what we saw. There's an entire rock of them. Yeah. They just look like giant blubbery fat things, and it was kind of cool. And then, so rockfish, we caught yellow eye and quillback and China, China mm-hmm. and black. Black. I think just black, black rockfish. Ba- yeah, black. And then lingcod. Which black rockfish look almost identical to a largemouth bass, but they're darker they're black in color almost. yeah and the yellow eyes that we caught look like a ginormous goldfish yeah my dad made a joke already he was like uh, i saw those giant goldfish you caught that's i guess that's where they go when you flush them out in the toilet <laughs> i was like eh, maybe yeah but the cool like we learned so much cool stuff from our guide as well when we were up there um we were talking about these this giant yellowfish i caught i caught a huge yellowfish while we were there it was upwards of 25 almost 30 pounds they estimated and the Fish grow so slowly and age slowly that this fish was probably close to 100 years old. Yeah, somewhere between estimated. 60 and 100, give or take. Yeah. So just crazy things that you don't necessarily think about on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Well, we did endure some rough seas. Um, the first day that we went out, it was pouring and It waves. wasn't as bad as it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be six foot waves in six seconds, which essentially means... It would take you six seconds in between the next wave hitting you. It's just a lot. And a that wave would be big enough that you'd kind of be doing these a little bit of downing and upping a lot instead of just more or less chopping through them. Yeah, but it was still pretty rough. Um, thank goodness for a motion sickness patch so that I didn't get seasick. But um, it was Still pretty, uh, pretty intense seas and it rained on us most of the day that day. We got a few spots of clear weather, but yeah, Mike that came with us caught the very first fish of the trip and I caught the very first halibut of the trip. Yeah. I caught the very first fish of the second day. So I'm pretty proud of that. Mm -hmm. And we did, we overnighted. We, like I said, stayed in this little cove, stayed on the boat. It was like our private hotel in the middle of Alaska ocean. It was really, really secluded and really, really awesome. And then I even caught a fish on another fish. So we were catching uh, rockfish and we were in a spot where there were quite a few black uh, rockfish and I was, had one hooked and you could tell, I mean, they was fighting like the other ones and they were coming in somewhere between three and five pounds, give or take. So pretty good sized fish. And then uh, Fox, who's there, he says, oh, you got another one. I'm like, yep. And then about that time, I kind of looked over at him and then it hit and my pole bent and my line started running out. 
And he goes, oh, <laughs> that isn't just a, a rockfish anymore. I bet you've got a hitchhiker or a lingcod, which is another type of fish down there, that um, ba- essentially it uh, bit onto the rockfish that I was reeling in. And I guess they have uh, kind of a curved like inverted teeth, teeth inverted kind of. teeth. And when it bites down, it wasn't able, as long as I kept tension on line, it wasn't able to actually let go. So I caught the fish attached, biting the other fish, which was insane. It was, uh, it was very, 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 very crazy. And another guy said, well, how big was it? I was like, I don't know. We didn't measure it. He said, if you didn't measure it, it was big. <laughs> because so, they have to be a certain length. I think 35. So just over, just right at three feet, essentially they have to be over 35 inches. So it would be just at three foot long. And this one was definitely longer than that. And then, um, we got into some pretty good sized halibut, no record setters or anything like that, but they said the the perfect eating size, which were anywhere from 50 to 70 pounds were a majority of them or a few of the bigger ones. We had some that were smaller in that 20 to 40 pound range, but then a few about, about 50, 50 split with bigger and smaller ones yeah. that were in the boat. And so we have lots of fish to eat for the next year and we better eat it quick so that we have an excuse to go back. And interestingly enough, a lot of people talked about, gave us some advice about how to get your fish back. You should fly up with coolers or you should do this, that, and or another thing. Or ship it back. And uh, what we found and did, and right or wrong, it was uh, very convenient and pretty easy for us all the way around and not overly expensive. It was a styrofoam box that was inside a cardboard box and they um, flash froze our fish and put them in those boxes that were airline approved, taped, and we checked them as bags. And they were pre-weighed so that they would be exactly just under 50 pounds so that we're, there were no oversized baggage fees. And uh, we were able to just check those and they came and everything was still frozen solid when we got yep. back the next day. Everything was completely frozen. And that would have been from the time we picked it up to the time we got home. It would have been about hours. 24 full hours. Yep. So it was it was perfect. It was an easy way to do it. Um, if you are looking or planning or whatever, I would definitely look into fish boxes from where you can get your fish processed right there in Alaska. Yeah, super easy. So enough about Alaska. Let's move on to some more fun stuff. So the first question that I want to touch on is from Eric Skelton. Hey guys, love all the content. Was wondering what GoPro setup you guys use when filming your hunts. Ooh, excellent. So a couple things. Um, We use a little bit of GoPro action for any of that first person type stuff. It is a GoPro Hero 8. And the other side of it is we try and run um, standalone microphones. I've actually got one right here. These are Zoom branded personal microphones, you plug in a deal to it. They run off batteries, little lapel mic. So that's it. So that everybody can kind of hear what's going on too. Uh, Audio adds a big. Yeah. Cause the audio on those GoPros really isn't too bad. If you are, if there's no wind, if there's no wind and it's facing you, but if I've got it flipped and I'm looking out, it doesn't, the microphone doesn't pick up our audio very well. So having the lapel mic on is super helpful. Um, for that. And we used to use the GoPro sevens, mm-hmm. but you had to put them inside a little case that the case then had a little, little attachment that then you could clip to your hat. Whereas- so every time you had to change a battery, you had to take it out of the case, put a new battery in. And I will say these, I've got a couple of them here. These little GoPro batteries suck They I mean, for what the camera is and everything else. Don't get me wrong. We're not a huge hater, but they don't last very long. No. So you're constantly, if you're, you know, making a big loop and doing a push, you don't know when you're going to find birds. You don't know when, you know, the action's going to happen. So you're recording the whole time, you're recording the whole thing. And so you don't necessarily know when to start, when to stop. So you just run the camera the whole time and you're having to switch batteries out. I know I've had to switch batteries out like two times in one push before we're back to the truck. And when you have to take it out of that case and flip it open and your hands, yeah. And when your hands are cold and you're wearing gloves and you're trying to get them in and out of that case and then back in the case and then back clipped up to your hat. I know I had a couple check it and make sure it's pointed in the right direction. Cause I've had a couple of times where I didn't quite get it relined up. And then it's like looking at the ground and then I wasted, you know, a whole battery's worth of film that wasn't filming anything other than my feet. Yes. So, so um, now we use the eights, which is the, the holding mechanism basically is built into the camera itself. And then there's a side door. You can flip that bad boy right open shoots 4k, 
Uh, 4K 60, I believe, is what you're shooting at the highest end that it's filming at, but it also shoots slow motion stuff. And um, some time lapse. So it's got it some other features. A, it has a smart time lapse feature, which works pretty good. So it kind of, um, it takes all the pictures and, and it adjusts how the time lapse works automatically, which is kind of cool. Um, but does allow you also have manual um, setting on that. And then we use, they're called exact clip or something. But they clip right look. to the bill of your hat and they're really strong clips um, so that you've got, and it sits back far enough on your bill because one thing that we were running into is some of them sit so far forward that it's constantly pulling the bill of your hat down and you can't end up seeing anything. So having the weight of that GoPro sit back as far and as close to the hat band as possible is really, really nice as well. So we've worked out a lot of the kinks of what works, what doesn't work, what we've tried um, and what hasn't worked as well. GoPros have come a long way from the originals that we had one of the originals that had to go in a waterproof case when we went um, on a vacation once. Do you remember that? Yeah, one like a Hero 2 or Hero 3 or something. Maybe. It was way... You had to buy a separate case for the camera for it to be waterproof. Yeah, and so they've come a long, long way since then. Um, they still are a wide angle, but they're definitely not so fish-eye-like, which makes it pretty cool to watch. Um, well, you actually have the ability to change that now in the settings. So you have a wide view, which would be that fish-eye. Then you have a standard view, and then you have... Um, a more narrow or they call it linear view, which gives you the least fisheye or wide angle type of view, but you do lose, you know, the angle in which you're viewing. It's more straight ahead, which for the most part is the direction that I'm looking. So it works out all right. And I don't care for the fisheye look. I don't feel like it meshes as well with any other clips that we add to the video either. So yeah, so that's what we use for our GoPro setup for the most part. And if you're watching, I am almost positive in the description below, we actually have links directly to all of these products. Um, but if we don't, we'll make sure and add it to them, any of these extra things. So the last that I've got here was, it's called, and this was a recommendation from another YouTuber and friend of ours. Um, it is called Same Top. Same top, and that is a mount. Looks like this. You probably will or will not be able to see that, but the same top. Um, it's a big clip. Clips right onto your hat. It's Jordan uh, with Jordan's Harvest. If you haven't checked out his channel, I definitely would do that. But uh, he gave me, he led me onto that because we tried a couple different things, and this one seems to work really well. It's easy to. Clip it on there, zeroed at where it's supposed to be, and you know, for the most part, you're pretty much pointed right where you wanted to be before. So really great question this evening as I'm getting just another little, uh, Weller antique one Oh seven, pretty tasty pour a little bit harder one to find. If you're going to the store, just, Hey, ask for the Weller red bottle. You may not find it depending on what part of the country is, but if you get lucky and you see one, definitely pick it up. It's pretty tasty. Just what I did. Found it downtown here. Good, 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 good. So speaking of the GoPros and we usually use them when we go on hunting trips, somebody asked, somebody named Derek, or no, excuse me, Doug Ng, why does South Dakota have such a large pheasant population? Here in Ohio, the natural pheasant population never recuperated from the 1978 blizzard. Well, I don't know much about Ohio. Been there once or twice, maybe passing through kind of deal. And, uh, but I can tell you as far as South Dakota goes, they put in a lot of effort to take care of that. Um, and that's a, that's a lot of time the individual farmers or the people that are doing guided hunts and that aspect of things. There's a ton of habitat. If you drive around South Dakota, you're going to see shelter belts. You're going to see um, cattails, which make there are natural habitat that make really, really good late season cover for the birds to be able to not get buried in snow drifts, um, as well as there's a ton of food. It is grain cover, grain cover, grain cover everywhere you go. They have essentially the optimal conditions for pheasants, which is why they've continued to thrive. Other states that do well um, and are similar, you go south, Nebraska, 
has a lot of pheasants, especially when you get into the south and southeastern portions. Um, but they have a lot of pheasants because they have similar things. They have grain and habitat. Now, not as specific to pheasants as far as that habitat goes. Um, you know, those shelter belts are specifically designed. There's a lot of grass, but it's like anywhere from five to 10 rows of trees. Most of them average at about seven different height covers. It's all 100% to help pheasants and other wildlife, but primarily pheasants, I believe. So they have all of the things and they're putting all of the things in. If you look at other states that have historically done well with pheasants and stayed that way, you get a little milder climate here in Kansas. Kansas has a ton of habitat. They have the grain still. Um, And then if you get up into Iowa, I mean, again, Iowa is essentially the same. They've got lots and lots and lots and lots of food and um, cornfields make really good pheasant habitat. Uh, Beans are good. All of these things are good. And if you are in this specific region, you see a lot of similarities. And I think that's probably why those states have continued to be in the top tier of places to hunt. Yeah, definitely habitat and food. And there are things other like predators and, you know, that bad springs or really harsh winters that are going to affect those populations as well. Um, Yeah. Uh, I would say one of the number one things that people overlook is how important the spring is and moisture content is to birds, but not for the reason you might think it's not because they need the water per se, or they need puddles everywhere to drink out of everything else. It's more for the chicks in a sense of, and adult birds too, but primarily the chicks, they eat bugs Bugs um, are attracted by weeds, bugs and weeds and rain um, or moisture go all hand in hand. And those bugs are, I believe, 70 to 80 percent of what those young developing birds get from a moisture hydration level. So they need bugs. If you have a dry year, you're going to struggle. If you have a really harsh winter, you're going to struggle. And, um, you know, these prime areas that we talked about kind of have all of those things. Now, as far as declining populations all the way around, cats riot. I, there's a lot of different uh, opinions on what the reason for that is. And I think that sometimes it gets overlooked in conversations that it's not just one thing. It's probably all of those things. The fact that you can't get any money for a fur. So people stop trapping. Uh, it's not hardly worth it to get a dollar uh, or $2 maybe for a skunk or a coon if you're lucky, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I know it's not much. And, um, coyotes have jumped a little bit here and there, but still even them, I mean, it's gotta be a pretty good conditioned coyote to get any money for it. And foxes, all of that stuff, trapping, um, clean farming eliminates a lot of the weeds, which eliminate a lot of the bugs in those habitat areas. Uh, and then just climate change or climate situations, all that stuff, cyclic, you have really wet years, you have really cold years, you have really dry years, all of those things happen. And, Um, You kind of need that perfect storm to continue populations growing. So really great question. And that's probably all we have time for in part one. And we will be back shortly with part two. All right. Welcome to part two of this week's Yawa. Uh, If this is your first time to the channel, definitely hit that subscribe button. Smash the thumbs up because smash is a word that almost all YouTubers use. So we thought we'd try it. Smash it. Smash it. Which we just watched the Emperor's New Groove with our little boy, Aiden. (laughs) Smash (laughs) Smash it with a hammer. hammer. That's the only thing I can think of. And if you know what I'm talking about, put it in the comments below. If you've seen Emperor's New Groove, it is actually a pretty funny movie. Bourbon of the evening, Weller Antique 107. And I'm drinking uh, stuff. fizz, I think, some kind of fizz, some seltzery drink. Since they don't have my Corona refrescas until next year, I was told. Yeah, big bummer. So I'm, I'm making do. Teasing you. So we have a lot of really good questions, and I want to start with this one. Because we talk about nail trimming a lot and we talk about developing good habits with your dogs and anything your dog is doing consistently, they're conditioning themselves to. And all of that goes into helping answer this question from Andrew Hotzman. 
Nail trimming. Hey, Andrew. Nail trimming is a nightmare. Help. No fun. At almost 60 pounds, putting her between my legs and her staying and not mouthing my hands and arms doesn't work. I've played with her paws since day one, and she is fine as long as the clippers or grinder are not out. Mm. She is stubborn, and I have spent almost an hour to get two paws done. Any tips? Well, first of all, I can say um, our go-to, I think, and for most of the gals that work for us, the go-to would be the method that we show most of the time with your puppies. It's a really easy way to get started, and if you can maintain that and or develop that properly, it's a, it's a fun way to do it. Puppies lay in there right there with you. You get to pet them, love on them, trim their nails. They enjoy it. You enjoy it. Everybody enjoys it. But... The fact of the matter is it doesn't work for all dogs and uh, we and get to see that firsthand. it's hard to start that process out when the dog is closer to 60 pounds. Um, it sounds like you've done a lot of the groundwork of, you know, having the dog be comfortable messing with their paws. But Even from a puppy hood on, doesn't it say that? Or no? I've played with her paws since day one, yes. Okay, okay. But she's not okay with the grinder or the tr- trimmer getting brought out. Is the grinder and trimmer being brought out? Is that a new thing? This is a great question and it may be um, a good way to reach out to us via Patreon too. We're going to try and give some feedback here, but if you're still having struggles, it might be good to see your nail trimming session. Yeah. So maybe we can give you just a little tip that's going to help, but it's patreon.com slash standing stone kennels where you can sign up there and then send us videos of what, uh, what's going on there. The most powerful tool that we have to offer you is not our knowledge, not what we're talking about here, but our ability to read training sessions and read dogs and give direction on where you should go. So continue. Sorry for so rudely interrupting. Continue. We were just talking about some tips or tricks to help you with the nail trimming. Okay. So some dogs, like we were saying, you know, really have an adverse reaction to the clippers, to the grinder, um, and laying on their back, they feel vulnerable. It sounds like you've done all the, you know, groundwork and right things, but sometimes just standing them up and, you know, picking their paws up one at a time is a different method, a different technique to try where they don't feel quite as vulnerable because they're all up on all fours. Uh, we did a video that I shot. Um, I was doing the video. Ethan was videoing it with quest with nail trims and different techniques, different methods that you could try one laying them on her back and two, having her stand up. Um, we do have a playlist on all of our nail trimming videos that we've done. Fantastic. Yeah. We do have a playlist. So good thing I mentioned going through some of those videos, seeing some of the other techniques that we use, seeing how we work through nail trims with different dogs and how the actual process goes. Um, but it sounds like just getting your dog used to the grinder and desensitizing them, even with Thunder, we did that where, you know, he was a little unsure of that grinder. So you just turned the grinder on and held one end of it, not the grinding end, but the other end where he could still hear it and feel it kind of vibrating a little bit up against his leg, up against his chest, um, kind of just bumping him with it saying, hey, this is doing nothing. Don't freak out about it. Get over it and kind of desensitizing him to that. Yes. And I would say the other side of it is people that are watching that maybe didn't try and lay that groundwork and are struggling at the same point with a dog that's in that too big to handle kind of range, the standing up position ends up being a lot easier for me um, when I have a dog that's struggling. But we have our table and we have the ability to uh, tether them essentially to one end. So they're hooked on a chain so they can't go anywhere aside from standing right there. And then we have the ability to work with each paw individually and a little more control or a little different type of control. And sometimes that works drastically better for some dogs, um, but it's definitely worth a try. For sure. And letting us see exactly what's going on in a video on Patreon would be even better. So next question from Kyle Bonestall. Really enjoy your videos. I'm getting a German wire hair pointer around Thanksgiving. Congratulations. I've decided on DT Systems e-collar. I see you guys. Yeah. I see you guys use all their models. My dog will be duck hunting, grouse and pheasant hunting. Grouse and duck hunting will be in Minnesota and pheasant hunting will be mainly South Dakota. Just not sure which model to get. Thanks. So I wanted to answer this question because it's a theme right now. I've been getting this question emailed, texted, Instagram messaged, phone calls, all the things about how to decide which e-collar to get. So I thought, why not answer that question in a Yawa? 
So I thought you were going to jump in there. I was just pouring. Help. Yeah, I saw that. And pouring and pouring. I was slow pouring. Um, so a there's a lot of different options. And I guess the two big things that I ask people to let me know what they're interested in before making a recommendation is one, are you interested in your caller having a beeper? My recommendation would be based on what you've explained that your caller has a beeper. Yes. Now I know you're going to be duck hunting as well. So you aren't going to necessarily be using the beeper portion of the collar in the duck blind or anything, but in the grouse woods or the thick cover in South Dakota or locating your dog, whether you just can't see them or hearing when they go on point will be super beneficial. So decide if you want a beeper. And then next is decide if you want your collar and your transmitter to both be rechargeable. Um, DT Systems has quite a few models that the collars are all rechargeable, but then the transmitter itself, some of them are rechargeable and some of them take a nine volt battery. And a lot of times using like the RAP 1450 that takes a nine volt, we'll actually use the rechargeable nine volts um, that plug in and then we can switch them out. So we're not having to throw nine volts away all the time, but then you've still got um, a battery that you are having to replace every once in a while. It's not super frequent. Ethan, when he's guiding, he's pushing that button a lot. Using the collar, every time you're using it, you're, you know, draining the battery a little bit. And I would say that those collar, the transmitter lasts at least two weeks per yeah, battery. Yeah, one to two. I usually change it on the weekly just to make sure because I don't ever want to be. Yeah, I don't ever want to be in that situation where I'm in the field and people are paying me to run dogs and not screw stuff up. Um, if I'm hunting, I pretty much only change. It's like, ah, we're running through the field. It's like, ah, dang, the battery died. And then I go change it. Um, but I change it drastically more often when I'm guiding. That's still only about once a week. Yeah. And Ethan and I, we really like the 1450 for hunting, Mm -hmm. um, especially in South Dakota. It can handle up to three dogs with one transmitter, which is nice. Yep. It has the beeper as well as vibrate, which I love collars that have a vibrate feature. And then it also has continuous and momentary stimulation. Now, when we're training dogs, in the kennel on the daily, we're using the H201820 series, which is both the transmitter and the collar are rechargeable because we're using them to train dogs constantly. They're getting used from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. pretty much. Um, So if we were using batteries, we'd be going through a lot of batteries, changing them a lot. So being able to plug them in is super beneficial. And those collars also handle up three dogs and have vibrate continuous um, and momentary stimulation. You could even say stellar beneficial. Doesn't work quite as well as a stellar sea lion, but <laughs> you're stuck on that, huh? Oh yeah, it's a cool name. Um, so I, I'm going to throw just a little bit of a twist in here because uh, twist it, twist it. You are looking for the one color to rule them all, and I'm going to say that if you ultimately, if you want the tools that are going to be best for the individual tasks, you probably honestly going to want to look at multiple collars. One thing that DT does, and if you are looking for this, you need to, uh, first of all, anybody who doesn't know that's watching right now, we have an online store. That online store has all of the training equipment, almost all of the training equipment that we recommend and or custom make for folks just like you. <sighs> Standingstonekennels.com slash store or go to our website, click the store link. Um, it's divided out into all kinds of different Categories. Categories and or brands. If you're looking for something specifically from Caranda or our Easy Lead products that's made by Standing Stone or DT Systems or Climb or anything else that you could think of, you've got brands there as well. Now, that being said, um, if it were me and I was solely duck hunting, I would be using an 1800 uh, series collar being the H201820. That would be my go-to, both rechargeable, great signal strength, simple, easy to operate collar unit. If Nick, continuous, vibrate, and then you have vibe plus stim, which you might as well just cut that button off. You don't need to use it. But the rest of the unit, stacked. And the transmitter is going to float if you drop it in the pond. 100% it is. Um, My next option then would be close between the 1450 and the SPT 2430 series. Now, the SPT is like their Cadillac series. It has all the features, has all the things, and 
if that SPT came in a three dog unit, that would be the only unit that I would use. Because it does not, I utilize the benefits of a three dog unit in the 1450. If the 1450, if the SPT series, excuse me, had a three dog collar, I would use it exclusively. It's fully rechargeable, has a three mile range. Now, I know what you just thought there. Three miles. Good God. I hope my dog's not over three miles from me. (laughs) But um, what you're going to end up running into is sometimes there can be interference. It doesn't happen all that often, but the longer your collar is built on a um, is said to have, as far as the signal string goes, the drastically less amount of interference or interference issues that you're going to run into. Yeah. So, so your signal strength will still be really good in that thicker cover when you've got interference. So with the SPT series, you have 50 levels instead of 16. This is 1450 over here, SPT. You have jump, which allows you to, at the click of a button, go up to that level that kind of gets their attention when you know something bad's about to happen. Like chasing a deer or finding a skunk or a porcupine. Speaking of porcupine, we'll mention that here in a second. Um, But you have the jump feature. You have vibrate. Uh, You have Nick and continuous stimulation. And you have the ability to control your beeper function from the transmitter. Other collars, some other collar units or add a beepers out there. You have to call the dog back to you. Then even uh, Tritronics Garmin has an add a beeper that you have to take the back off and adjust little switches in it to change the functions. That's a pain in the butt. But um, so all of those things, the SPT 2430 or 2432, if you want the two dog model, that is, has all the features, is the best unit. That would be my recommendation. Unless you're looking for a little bit of a, a money saver option, you're going to use those uh, nine volt batteries. Now, some of you may do your research and say, hey, he said the 18... 100 series was the way to go for lab stuff, retrieving water work, duck hunting, not just labs, but um, why not use the 1850 that looks like it has a beeper? And with that 1850, you lose vibrate. So in order to keep all the functions that we use on a regular basis, you either need the 1450 or the 2430 series collars. And if you want, like Ethan had mentioned, a second collar system that doesn't have the beeper for when you're only doing waterfall stuff or just even basic obedience around the house and you don't want a big beeper sticking up on the collar, that 1820 is a good option. Or I really, really like the MR1100. The transmitter is a little more compact. It does take a nine volt still. Um, but but they last forever. They I mean, last forever. We use one around the house here and have used one in several training videos. And I don't remember the last time we changed the nine volt in it. Yeah, like I plugged in the collar to charge that, but the nine volt's been good for a long time. I don't months. know when the last time it was it's that we months. changed it. Yeah, and um, it is super simple. It literally has three buttons, so you can't mess up. Like Ethan was saying, that vibrate plus stim that's on the eighteen twenty, just remove that button. Well, with the MR eleven hundred, they you, did. They did. You mm-hmm. don't have to mess with that one. It's got vibrate momentary and continuous with the 16 levels. You can still add up to three collars, three dogs on it. Um, so you've got a toggle switch that switches between collars, but super simple, nice compact size. Um, and I really, really like that one. Fits young dogs, older dogs all very easily. Now, the last thing that I got to mention, because I had, uh, I believe three emails about this today, people saying, we love your stuff. We watch all your videos. We want to order something off your website. Do you have any discount codes that we can use on the store? Um, If you sign up on Patreon in the VIP category, you get a discount code. It's a one-time use deal, but you get it for 15% off any items on the store. Bundle all your stuff up, sign up, use the code. Get all your training and hunting gear for the year and save 15%. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. So uh, we mentioned uh, that's that's pretty much everything with the collars, but I did mention uh, porcupines. And if you haven't seen, we have a video And you can go to it standing, just search standing stone and then removing porcupine quills. We show when Muddy got into a porcupine this two years ago, two years ago in the fall. It's been a little while. So two years ago in the fall, she got into a porcupine, didn't get hit horrible, but God enough. I think we pulled like 50 or 60 quills, give or take. And we show step-by-step on that. Now that video has just a shy of a million views. We are at... We're like 6,000 views away from it hitting a million, which would be our first video that's ever hit a million views. So go watch it. 
help boost our video. Share it. Yeah. For awareness coming into hunting season. Anybody that's interested in seeing it. The only thing that we missed on that because I didn't have one and I knew I do now have it in my med kit is a essentially a dowel that you can attach. So it helps keep the dog's jaw open, which would prevent the opening, closing, opening, closing. It just would be a wooden dowel that goes in the back of their mouth. And the swallowing and licking. Yeah. Yep. Keeps their mouth open so that we can get those coals out faster. And everyone's going to go, why didn't you go to the vet when you watch it? Well, where we were at hunting, where Ethan was at hunting, that was not an option at that point. We were point. a few hours from a vet clinic, which would have meant a few hours of scratching and knocking out and breaking off quills in her face. And breaking off quills, they are going to continue to migrate to the point where they could work their way all the way into her eye or her mouth or her throat um, if they've been broken off. So getting them out sooner rather than later was the better option in that situation. And if you watch the video, it took me, I believe it was a one take straight through video again. I believe it took 10-ish minutes. 10-ish minutes of pulling quills, boom, 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 boom. They were all done and it was over. And then we went back to hunting. Instead of a two-hour trip where she's breaking off quills, causing more damage before you even get to be seen by a vet. Then when we got back to town, uh, you have to even, in order for them to really show up on an x-ray, you had to give it a few days, but we did get her checked out. They didn't find anything else, so we did really well with that. But it is a matter of... um, You know, it's sometimes, even though it may not be the most enjoyable thing for you or the dog, for that matter, it is the best thing for them. And being aware and comfortable and ready to do that for your dog is a good thing. Definitely. So I wanted to mention a comment that we got from J.S. Keller. I think I had mentioned in one of our last Yawas or another video about finding puppy toys that don't have squeakers because we don't like squeakers for teaching dogs hard mouth and squeaking and rolling and munching behaviors. So it's really hard to find squeaker toys or toys without squeakers. And I said, if you can find a way to kill the squeaker or toys that don't have them, let me know because I'm interested. So this person shared a tip with me, which I'm going to have to try out. They said, I just bought a plush toy duck with 14 squeakers sewn in. A little overkill. 14? 14. I definitely think that these squeaker toy producers are a little um, overzealous when it comes to squeaky toys. Um, I perforated them. 14? Yeah. I perforated them all with a- 14. All right, I'm done. Stop it. (laughs) Golly, I was about to punch you. I perforated them all with an ice pick. It takes several holes to eliminate the squeak, but it worked and the plush fur is fine. So I'm going to be ordering an ice pick on Amazon or somewhere and giving this the old testeroo and see how it works for our squeaky toys. I did get the same uh, recommendation from another gentleman that picked up a puppy from us. And he said he actually is in the medical field and he said, use a 14 gauge needle. So if you have access to that, it should also work. Okay, so we're going to try a couple of those methods out and see what works best. Maybe we'll even do a video on it. How to kill the squeakers. Ah, 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 I think ah, so. Ah, ah, ah. So thank you guys for your questions. I think that's about all we have time for today. So hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and head on over to our porcupine video, Removing Quills, and watch that one too while you're at it. We will see you in part three. Welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa. If this is your first time to the channel, this is the first video of ours you are finding. Hit the subscribe button. Smash the like button now. And if Emphasis you, on the smash. And if you want to hear about <laughs> our Alaskan adventure, you better check out at least part one, but most likely you should also check out part two of this week's Yawa because... Not only do we talk about Alaska and how amazing it was, but we also answered some really awesome questions. Now we're going to answer some questions while I sip on Suburban, which for this episode happens to be Weller Antique 107. So this first question is from Matthias Mays. Finished. 
every video over the last year. What? Which is awesome. That's insane. I am saying virtually impossible. Not literally impossible because you said you did it, but virtually impossible. We put out a lot of videos. So that's really awesome that you've been able to watch all of them. So Yawa question. You covered extensively the toys for puppies, but what toys do you keep in the house once they grow out of the puppy phase? The same ones or more of rope toys and or chew bones, just like the ones on your store website? It's a great question. FYI, shout out to the store for all other viewers. I ordered a leash and e-collar and it was shipped within a week. If only customs cooperated a bit more, I would have gotten it in a couple of weeks to Belgium. So... That's awesome. Thank you very much for your support and for being a fan. And I'm glad we were able to get your order shipped out quickly. We're usually pretty Johnny on the spot, but every once in a while, since we're a small business and not Amazon, it does take a little bit longer. Sometimes, but uh, we've got some extra help. Uh, The store's grown enough that we actually have an employee helping with that now, which is a huge benefit. Benefit. Um, as well as help things to get out pretty quick for everybody. Yeah. So this is a really good question though, because it's one thing that we don't really talk about all that often is what do we give our adult dogs as far as toys or treats to entertain them? So when we've got puppies around, which for us, we have puppies around a lot. Pretty regularly. We've got Thunder and we've got Clutch right now and they have their puppy toys. And so when they're out, when some of the adult dogs are out, the adults get to share with those puppy toys. Um, You have to watch them though, because they tend to, (coughs) grandpa. um, Try and swallow them whole. Yeah. Try and eat them, chew things off, destroy them really, 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 really fast. And ultimately they are toys for puppies, not toys for adult dogs. Yeah. So our go-to toys though, for the adults are rope toys. Like you mentioned, uh, we have really, really liked the rope toys with the antler chew on it. And all of our dogs have also loved those. They are on our store. Mm -hmm. Um, big sky antler chews. Um, we're using the larger of the two sizes that we offer for the adult dogs because the small ones, they are also able to chew through pretty quickly. I think they're listed as medium and large on there or small and medium. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but of the two sizes, the bigger size for adult dogs. And they really like those. Not only do they like the rope toy, but they also like chewing on that antler piece. And then primarily we give chews, um, whether it's an antler. So I just went to uh, standingstonekennels.com, hit the store button on the top right side under the, or if you're on a web browser, it's going to be along the top, but hit store. Then it comes up, gives me categories and I'm clicking on chews and toys right now which uh, on your mobile version allows you to scroll through all of this goodness. And we get down here to the big sky antler rope toy, as Kat was mentioning. And our size selections are small and medium. You're right. There's a large, but the large was kind of uh, large, large. And these are primarily for puppies and or our adult dogs like the medium size. Uh, Speaking of adult dogs that like the medium size or any of the sizes, it would be grandpa Rex. Rex is, uh, the, mm, a local house ornament. Now, if you will, he's pretty much not visible anywhere. I mean, you can't walk through a house without bumping into grandpa. He's just here always. Yeah. He's on the couch. He's in the bed. He's on a dog bed. He's sunning himself. He's just out and about. And currently, our shipping center, if you will, oh is in God. the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know where this it, is going. This is in the office behind us. Well, Rex loves to help ship in the morning. That's usually when we get stuff. We try and tackle it all first thing in the morning before the sun comes up. And he's in there on a dog bed, Coran dog bed, by the way. He loves curl up in the little bed with the bolster. The dogs really like to kind of cozy into those. And he. You walk out to go get a cup of coffee or do something or go to the garage, which is the extension of the shipping center. And he snatches himself another rope toy with an antler on it. I mean, the dude has stolen about eight out of the the stack of stuff that's ready to be shipped out. Like we bring in stuff to get boxed up in the office right now and come back. It's like, where is the antler toy that I... Grandpa stole it. it. He's got it in the other room, chewing it up on the couch. (laughs) Leaves the the label on. I was like, maybe we should just ship this out with a note from Grandpa saying, sorry, uh, got a a quick chew on it before. Quality control. Quality control or something. Taste test. No, we're not sending out a used crap, but 
Grandpa loves he them. He keeps them stealing them. And that's the number one. I mean, stuff's out. There's stuff out fairly regularly that he does not get into. But those he steals. <laughs> loves yes. the things. So those antler rope toys, as well as the pork chumps, um, baked rolls. They really we, like those a lot, too. Yes. And a big um, if money saver, if you will, even. We buy and we use for our dogs here the big 18-count rolled and I think they're Pork like eight chunks. inches long. Yes, they are. And I take and I cut them right in half. And every morning, all the dogs are up, hanging out on their dog beds. I give them each a, a quarter chunk. It's just enough that doesn't really seem to upset their stomach, gives them something to chew on. It takes most of them probably 30 minutes to 40 minutes to chew through one. Not quite an hour probably, but usually not less than 30 minutes. So somewhere in that vicinity, over 30 minutes to chew them up and and then it's still really easy on their digestion, which is good. Yep. So those, uh, you know, if you're looking for a best bang for your buck, I've done the math. It is those rolled, uh, 18 count of the rolled pork chomps and I cut them in half, makes them really affordable. All right. What do we got for the next question? So this is a really good question from Zachary Stoltz. What is the best way to get into bird hunting with a dog without breaking the bank? Ooh. You guys do great work. And this was a really good question because, A, you just talked about, you know, best bang for your buck. And we are headed into hunting season as we speak, basically. I mean, beginning of September, dove season's opening up. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. And then there's going to be teal. And then there's going to be where, depending on where you're at exactly in the States, um, Lots and lots of hunting opportunities coming up. So how do you get into hunting without breaking the bank? Well, with, I'm going to say a dog. with a dog. Okay. So I'm going to say starting off in order to get into hunting, one of the most important things that you need that kind of can't be band-aided together or makeshift with other stuff that you have maybe is you need a shotgun. If you don't have a shotgun, you can't really go bird hunting Unless you're going to get in the archery aspect of it, but that's a whole different ballgame and yeah. insanity, essentially. Um, and not on not the, even not on the cheap zone. No, anyway. it, you're gonna burn through more arrows in. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna go into. You need a shotgun now. I would say Cat and I shoot Beretta shotguns. Have for a long time. Love them. They are. Not the top, top dollar, but they are a higher dollar shotgun. They last, they hold up well. We shoot a lot, which is important uh, to have a little higher end stuff. Um, But before that, my first shotgun and still a quality company today is TriStar. They make uh, a really nice semi-automatic shotgun. It's called the uh, Viper G2 Viper, Viper G2. I always get mixed up exactly, but you'll find it. It's um, their semi-automatic shotgun comes in 20 or 12. It's a really high quality gun shoots like a tank. I mean, it's not the fastest thing in the whole world, but it never, I've not had any issues with mine misfiring. I got it. Uh, it was sent out to me from a guy, um, a buddy of mine who owns a, a company where you can actually buy them or you can buy other guns, spare change defense. And again, he's providing quality deals and uh, trying to help the the average guy out with his gun shop. So sparechangedefense.com. Um, Doyle will get you hooked up. But TriStar makes a quality shotgun. So step one, get a shotgun. Yes. Step two, if you want to hunt with a dog, you got to have a dog. Um, and this would be a place. I don't know if this is exactly where you're going this exact second, but this would be the place that I wouldn't. Bang for your buck. I mean, a lot of times you pay for a lot of times. And yeah, there's going to be somebody that throws in the comments that I got my dog for free and it's the best dang dog I've ever had in my life. And you may have had that happen and you're lucky that doesn't always happen. And you are going to typically be better off paying a little more for a dog that has a health clearances that the parents are healthy that you know that those dogs are out of hunting lines. So you're going to get a dog that's going to be natural as far as coming into hunting, knowing what they need to do with a minimum amount of training to get them there. There's no such thing as a free dog. I mean, they're just not. And you got to go get them shots. And then sometimes there's something going on that you got to do that. I mean, you're going to end up spending the same money that you would on the quality puppet, the veterinarian, 
a lot of times. So definitely. Um, and then on top of that, the dog that's well-bred and this doesn't, I mean, there are quality dogs in different breeds at different price ranges. You don't have to go buy the most expensive dog you could ever find, but everybody has a budget. We get that, but do your diligence, find somebody that's done some health clearances, has put the time, effort, and energy, not just said, we love our dogs and they're good. So we wanted to breed them. Um, but can prove to you that they're quality dogs and everything else. And if you find somebody in that niche that has those things that you feel comfortable with, you're going to end up with a good dog and it's going to be a lot easier to train them, a lot less expensive to get them to the point where they're ready to go hunting with you. Yeah. And you definitely want your dog to be ready to hunt, even if it's from a well-bred program and out of hunting lines. That doesn't necessarily mean it's just going to be ready to go hunting. It still needs some exposure to things like a bird intro, a gun intro. We actually talk about in another video, the prerequisites that you must have before you take your dog hunting. So I would Correct. definitely recommend checking that video out, um, especially coming into hunting season to make sure that your dog really is ready to go hunting so that you don't create problems by taking them when they're unprepared. But um, if you get a dog that's high quality, mm -hmm. that has the natural ability to be a good hunting dog, you most likely can do a lot of the beginning training and get them ready to go hunting yourself. If you're on our YouTube channel now watching this, if you go to our channel page by clicking on standing stone kennels anywhere that you see that, it will take you to our channel and then you can hit playlist and it actually shows step-by-step step in order what we taught several different dogs, including Quest and Rogue and Sprig and Mac, I think has got a playlist mm -hmm. in there. Um, and then Fox has got a starting playlist and there's a lot of different playlists that show the introductory work into getting and prepping your dog for hunting season. Yeah. And then if you need a little more help than just following along with the videos, we do have an online dog training community on Patreon where we can actually give you feedback and help you work with your dog through video exchanges, through live video chats to help you train your dog and get them ready for hunting season. So you can save some money instead of sending your dog off for training, which yes, can get expensive. So now we have a shotgun and we have a bird dog. Those are the two most important things to get into it and, and probably the most basic, expensive and a basic training of your bird dog. Yep. And probably the most expense that you're going to have wrapped up into it. If you're trying to do this on the dollar, the next thing is if you are just learning how to hunt, uh, I would assume in this process of gun and bird dog, you will have found a mentor, uh, or, come across somebody that can help you a little bit, but one of your friends likes to hunt and they're taking you under their wing but a mentor is going to be beneficial, but then the rest of it isn't that big of a deal. You can wear what other, whatever clothing that you, you want, essentially, as long as you're following state regulations, which in upland hunting, um, orange is a good recommendation from a safety standpoint, but not required. But the rest of it is just something that feels comfortable to hike through the grass. You can wear your blue jeans. You can wear a good pair of boots that you've got. And then, uh, you know, enough warmth to stay depending on what time of year it is. And a bird vest. You can find bird vests for 30 or 40 bucks, uh, game hide or some, there's a, you know, there's always some kind of brand of a standard bird vest that can hold some shotgun shells. It can hold some birds if you end up killing something. Um, and then you need a hunting license. And when you go to pick up your hunting license, depending on what your state you're in, you can find maps to all of the public hunting ground in your area. Um, Kansas has a ton. I know Nebraska has a fair amount. Um, Iowa has some. And definitely depending on what state you're in, it may be called something different, but it is public access land. Yep. So in Kansas, it's a lot of it. There's state ground, um, but there's also, uh, I refer to it as Weeha. It's walk-in hunting areas, W-I-H-A. And all of those have slightly different regulations, but they show them right there on the signs. It'll say shotgun only, archery only. Um, you only have access during specific times, but it tells you all of those things, but you can get maps to all of this stuff. Um, even out uh, west and northwest, you can get on BLM land, which is block management. Please correct me, throw it in the comments, tell me exactly what BLM stands for. But um, it is, again, your public access ground. Um, some of it is private owned where the state pays them to allow you to hunt on it. Some of it is state ground. All of these things, there's plenty of places South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, Iowa. I don't know that I've specifically hunted public ground in Missouri, but I'm sure that there is some. Uh, Minnesota has a ton of state ground. 
I know Wisconsin has state ground. All of these different places have that have access to birds. Um, these are areas that I have hunted, but other states have something. You can find that right where you're buying your hunting license or online. You have access to this. So that was a really good question, especially coming up on hunting season. And I think we have time for one last question. And this one's for Ethan. Mm. And we have to end on this because I about busted a gut when I read this comment. Oh, goody. Mr. Bathtub, I got me the most important question ever asked for a yacht. Wait, 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 wait. I'm reading it verbatim. Mr. Batham? Yep. Bathtub? Yep, I'm reading it verbatim. Got it. I was like, wait a second, is my name now Mr. Bathtub? Okay, Mr. Bathtub is asking the question. Knowing, of course, that Ethan is taken <clears throat> by yours truly, but does he have a brother who is single <laughs> and ready to mingle? <laughs> what? Well, Mr. Bathtub, I believe on that note, I am out of bourbon and we are out of time. <laughs> Thanks everybody for watching. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. And we will see you in the next video.